What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, actually in person, is Adam. We're recording a podcast together, Kalal, yes. and we are one day away from Brave Spring Training. Kalal, and we are Atlanta's own. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky-ass hijinks, bullshit, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's amazing. Look at you. Yeah, look you, at you. You exist. Yeah. We could read each other's uh, facial reactions and uh you know hand cues and gestures you're making a lot of gestures right now oh big big gesture guy today i mean the wall upstairs filled in okay but you know nothing compares to that beautiful face of yours wow very flattered it it is an honor to be back in here with in person with you still in our outdoor adam kalal under the deck studio yes newly renovated yeah, it looks really nice down here. Uh, it's just a pure display of craftsmanship in terms of just, uh, really just design, in terms of how you've arranged the garden tools and the, uh, what else? The garden tools, the pollen, um, the, the the bug spray. Everything's just arranged like a, a, a true professional. Master, master class here. Thank you. Yeah, you, you got to have a solid foundation for any under deck area as well as for any podcast and any sports team and right now we got all of that going all over the city Graham. yes so i'm excited to jump into this episode it's going to be a big episode yeah we got a ton to talk about today we've got the braves who are starting their season on thursday we got the hawks who are still in the midst of their brutal west coast road trip and have had a lot of ups and downs recently that we will get into and we have the falcons making moves in free agency including bringing home one of Atlanta's own, Mike Davis, not affiliated with the podcast, but he is from Atlanta, the former Carolina Panthers running back. We had a pretty decent season filling in for Christian McCaffrey, who who sunk my fantasy season because he only played in two damn games last year. Mike Davis this is? Mike Davis, yeah. Sure. Well, I don't Christian think... Christian McCaffrey screwed yeah, me. Yeah, I don't but, think yeah. Davis screwed you. No, McCaffrey no. Did. I, didn't, I couldn't pick him up, unfortunately. I wish I could have, but someone else was, was faster to the trigger than I was. Man, I'm so sorry to hear that, Graham. And I was not expecting your fantasy football team to be the first thing we're discussing on this exciting podcast. No, but it's, I'm, it's I'm the glad last we thing are. we should talk I'm glad about, we are. Probably. <laughs> um, we also want to address the elephant in the room. Everybody knows this. That's been listening this year. We've had some issues with Adam's microphone going and we apologize profusely we've been called out on it uh multiple times it's not our intention we thought we got over it it happened again in the last episode we did an audio test we actually sat down here for about 15 minutes and recorded just us bantering back and forth and we listened to play with that playback we think we fixed the issue and so this is something you probably don't have to worry about and um yeah and we want to thank also user Nick Rising, who's been with us since the beginning, for contacting us last week and saying um, basically what the fuck is going on. And uh, sorry, Nick, he did it a very nice way. He didn't say it like that, but we're 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 back, baby. Yeah, it's it was an embarrassment, and if anyone cares, I don't think it was the mic, it was the computer, and there's a lot of ins and outs to this audio engineering world that I'm not attuned to yet, so that's why I generally need Graham with me to do the tech stuff. So that's why I pushed for an in-person, because we can't have that crap anymore. No, it's unacceptable. We're better than that. Yeah. Like, that should be the, like, the content can be crap, 
but it should at least sound halfway decent if we've been doing this for four years. Sure. As in, like, clear. So, you know, let's we'll, we'll keep the bar there for the rest of the year and try to go above and beyond. Yeah, and instead we have uh, the, no- the, the ambiance of outdoor podcasting that we've dabbled in over the last four years every now and then. Just for your listening pleasure or displeasure, depending on, you know, your mileage may vary there, but it was worth it to be in person. So I think let's get on with the show and talk about your Atlanta Braves, the defending, what, three times, three years in a row now we've won the NL East. What is this, 1997? Braves are coming off a hell of a season where they went the deepest in the postseason that they've done since 2001, getting to the NLCS taking a 3-1 lead against the Dodgers. We know how that ended, unfortunately. But at the same time, it wasn't one of those seasons where it's like, oh, man, that was our best shot. We're never going to get back again. We're screwed. This team is old. You're not saying that when you got Mike Soroka coming back. uh, Max Freed, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, the defending MVP. So it sets up to be a very exciting season, Adam, in the NL East. The NL East is revitalized. I would say. I say every team has a shot at winning the division. You might you might disagree with that, but the Mets are definitely a new threat. The Nationals are always the Nationals. And we know the Braves are good. The Marlins are scrappy as hell. They got into the playoffs last year, even though it was an expanded playoff format. But they have some good young pitching. So this is going to be a really, really cool season, I think, this year. I think I'm I'm really just fascinated about the dynamics of the division, but I'm more interested in the dynamics of this final roster we got heading out of spring training, and it's likely to change as time goes on. But the Braves opened up with pretty much zero power on the bench and five left-handers in a 10-man bullpen. And your main two bench guys are Pablo Sandoval, a.k.a. the Kung Fu Panda, the 2012 World Series' most valuable player, and to hear Adriazana, who we've talked about, both these guys had, had outstanding springs and earned their spots on the roster. Yeah, if, if we're starting with the bench, it was, well, you know, the bench and bullpen were really the only battles that were out there. And I don't think anyone going into this pictured Pablo Sandoval. Is it Adrianza? Adrianza? Could be Adria, Adrianza. We, we'll, we'll get it at so some point. The, the problem hearing, is you know. I'm reading it off of my little sheet of paper, and I just guessed on the spelling. So what it, I, what it is I spelled see, like Adrian and yeah. then Za. Yeah, yeah. So. Adrianza. Yeah, it's probably Adrianza. Um, Alex Jackson is our backup catcher, and then everyone's favorite, Ender Enciarte. So it certainly is a weak bench. And, I mean, Pablo got there because he actually hit pretty well in spring training. I think he, he was hovering around 400, I believe. He had 429, the 978 OPS. Um, however, he's not hitting for power, really. 12 of those hits are singles, and uh, the other three were doubles. But he's not that far removed from a bit from at least a, a good power season. In uh, 2019, he had 14 homers and a 507 slugging percentage uh, and 296 plate appearances. So that's not terrible, and that's only you know, two years ago. So it's not to say he can't provide power. It's just in his most recent output, um, you know, in the COVID season, which he hardly didn't really play. One spring, game. Yeah, one game, and then he played a little bit in the NLCS. 
and spring training, he hasn't really been hitting for power. But that's not to say he can't still crank out a home run or two. And he's on this team because he grinds good at-bats together. As we remember with his first at-bat in the playoffs last year, where he comes in and well, he got hit. He got that. hit. But I think he, he saw three pitches. It was two he one count. Solid. Like he was, he, yeah, he's not scared. He's a professional hitter. Uh, like Snit is not a big fan of someone coming off the bench that's just going to strike out seven times out of ten and maybe run into a home run every now and then. Yeah, like, he's very different from Bobby Cox in the sense that Bobby Cox would run out the same pinch hitter. It felt like near the end of his career. Remember Corky Miller, the like third string catcher. Yeah, it was like he was always the pinch hitter for. It's like a solid three months, like the 2006 or seven season. I can't remember. And it was like, this guy can't hit worth a shit. And it's great that Bobby believes in him. And that, that you know, that, that's fantastic. And Corky's trying. He's, he's, you know, he's doing his best. Everybody's doing their best and believing in each other. But you got you to gotta get results at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, you always want to, like, it'd be nice to have that one veteran with power that can come up and hit a walk-off home run for you. But we don't have that. And it just... I mean, it sucks so much, this whole DH thing, not going with the DH. And I know Charlie Borton was complaining about it this week, just about the fact that it's he's not in the major leagues to hit. Like, all he's doing is taking someone's job in the minors that could be up as a bench player or a um, just like a pinch hitter. And it, it sucks that these pitchers have to hit this year. And with this bench... A four-man bench, we can't ride with this all year because it's like you're going to be killing your starters and we're going to be pinch in with Max Freed a lot, I guess. No. Like we used to do with Tehran. No, no. Remember, Max Freed used to pinch run, too. You're going to have to do that now. I don't want that, man. Well, I don't want it either, but you have a four-man bench and one of them's a catcher. So say one guy goes down and enters in the outfield. I mean, I guess Pablo's going to have to play some third. Austin Riley moves to left it's gonna it's it's gonna be weird so yeah. I, I think this is just for like a couple of weeks with this short of a bench well i know also that in a surprising move that a lot of people i don't think i at least for me i can't speak for a lot of people but i can speak for myself i did not see coming was bryce wilson being optioned down to triple a to start the season now i don't that they've said that's not going to be how it works he's going to be the fifth starter they just don't need him yet and he has an option so fuck it right fulfill another need add an extra bullpen arm or whatever but it's weird the way the Braves are handling these these options to me. We also look at a guy like uh, Contreras and or William Contreras, who had a much better spring, who profiles to potentially be a major league caliber catcher, who's also going to be spending time in AAA. And the reasoning for that seems to be that they want him to develop more and get everyday at-bats, everyday action, and that they think he will be a better player in the long run for that. So I can understand that, but you can't tell me what we've seen from Alex Jackson in his brief time up here from a defensive or offensive standpoint, and he's going to give you anything in those starts. Yeah, no, I mean, he's got a little bit of pop. He hit a opposite field home run the other day. Um, but, I mean, he, he's, yeah, he's a defensive catcher. I don't think anyone's very excited about it, but it, I buy the – get Williams Contreras more at bats but also the AAA season doesn't start until May so he's just going to be playing in those like inner squad games for the next month so I certainly would have been a lot more excited to see Contreras and you know it goes back I can't remember the last year we didn't have two decent veteran catchers like either Flowers or Suzuki and 
we did that for a reason is that these guys can't catch every day in Atlanta summer heat. Like that's the other thing. This is a 160 game season again. It's not the 60 game sprint that last year was. Right. So yeah, I mean Luke Jackson. I mean not Luke Jackson. Well, he doesn't excite me either. But <laughs> Alex Jackson as well. That 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 was surprising. But I understand the logic. And you know Contreras didn't play in the minors at all last year. So right. I mean let him get every day at bats. But if you run into a situation where Darno is heaven forbid injured for a little while you know Contreras would be the guy to be called up to be the everyday guy right versus Alex Jackson right and I think so. another thing to consider you talked about his lack of minor league experience last year he's only played 16 games above class a level and none at triple a yeah so Jackson's only only hit four for 27 this spring um he's only come up for a cup of coffee in the majors over the past two years but he's two for 20 with no homers nine strikeouts but yeah as you mentioned he does have pop he had 28 homers in 2019 so that was in triple a so plus defender though supposedly i haven't seen enough of him to really gauge him defensively yet we also haven't seen enough to really gauge him offensively but the offense is going to stick in stick a little more with you i just wonder how long term this is going to work out like if Contreras really does start kicking ass why not insert him as the backup like if he gets that development even if it's only for three let's say like july or something it's like okay you know there's nothing else for this guy to prove at the triple a level let's call him up like if he gives you a better chance to win yeah you know. i mean i think it probably depends on where the team's at at the time like if it's if we're kicking ass in first place keep him down there but if we need a little extra shot in the arm then yeah maybe that's an option i, I would still say even if you do even if you are in first place and you're doing well but let's say Jackson's just not doing so hot. I would still consider potentially calling up Contreras. If, I, I if will. He's doing well. I will say this: I do like running with the young guys. Versus, I saw today we signed a 38-year-old Jeff Mathis. Yes. To a minor league contract, that does not excite me at all. I don't want a 38-year-old backup catcher. I'd rather like let's finally see what Alex Jackson has, if anything, or give the job to Contreras but right. I, I, I don't need these Corky Millers coming back Graham <laughs> like I prefer Corky Flowers Miller. over 38 year old Jeff Mathis like I don't think Flowers has signed with anyone has I he? don't think so either I haven't heard anything about Flowers signing with anybody which you is, know what you better sew your roll on on one Jeff Mathis here Adam you what know did you do last he year had 161 with a 221 on base percentage last year for the Rangers okay. I, I don't want to hear your slander yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a career backup guy. He's been playing since 2005, mostly on the West Coast, which is why we don't know a lot about him. Started his career with the Angels, bopped around to the, the – I remember him when he played with the Marlins for a little bit. Then he went back out West to Arizona and Texas. Um, so, yeah, he's never been a, a good hitter. But he was worth uh, .4 war last year, which is oh, which I think defensively? speaks to his proficiency as a defender. Because he ain't getting that with hit 161 with three home runs. So, um, but he's also a career point four war player. So it's not like he's God's gift to man defensively either. So I think this is just a depth move in case both the young guys can't do their job. You can say, okay, bring in Jeff Mathis just to run the ship from a defensive standpoint. If you were going to do that, though, I mean, I can't, as a backup, I, I can't believe we're spending this much on now our third string catcher, basically. <laughs> Tyler Flowers is still out there. I'm looking at it right now, and he's 35, and 
defensively and like i mean he's like god's gift to pitch framing or whatever right so you would think that would be a better look someone that has been with the organization for so long i just don't have those funds man liberty media slash covid we could afford the veteran minimum you would think well you would think what do i know though we couldn't afford what i was going to say going back to talking about like the rest of our bench God, how much better do you feel if Adam Duvall is on this team right now as a fourth outfielder slash that pinch hitter, you know? I mean, yeah, the power bat off the bench and just his late-inning defense. It sucks that we couldn't – I think he, he was $5 million, which mm-hmm. sucks that we couldn't afford that to have the backup, and then we're paying Ender $8 million, so that that's what's kind of screwing just, us there. You're stuck with Ender. That's a problem. Even if you release Ender, you still got to pay him that money. So, because the baseball union is the best union and – the world um it, it is frustrating from that standpoint and you gotta wonder about adriazana too even though he's had an outstanding spring plays good defense it's like let's say dan dansby got hurt the other day and it's not supposed to be a big injury i can't remember what happened to him i think it was a leg thing but you know if dansby can't play for a little bit for whatever reason or ozzy goes down or whatever but you know you look at what Adriana does offensively. It's not like he sets the the world on fire. He had a good year in 2019, hitting 272, 349, 416 slugging. He's not great, but he's not a guy that hits a lot of homers. Um, and he's had he's just had a little bit of an up and down career. 2020, he didn't play well at all. Hit under 200, under 300 on base, um, no home runs. So. You just wonder what you're going to get with him offensively. Obviously, he looks great in spring training, but we know spring training can be misleading. The track record says he's an okay hitter, if that. Probably below average overall with one very good season. But it's not like he's a guy that draws a lot of walks. You're relying on him to play defense. And you're relying, I think, more on Sandoval to supply the offense from the bench. I don't know. The bench is definitely a weak spot of this of this ball club. Yeah. There's that, but I mean, I, I was glad to see that we did re-sign, we released Jason Kipnis. And Jake Lamb. But we, we got Kipnis back. Oh, we did. He, he signed a minor league deal, so okay. I feel good about that. He's, you know, a veteran guy, played a ton of years with the Indians, could come in and play. I don't know if he plays anything but second base, though. I'm sure he can play a little third. Yeah, I think he's played third. Field, maybe. He's played some short, but he hasn't done that in a while, I don't think. So I feel good having Kipnis down there. We still have Camargo. But yeah, the, the Jake Lamb one really surprised me. As, as I know I said about three weeks on this very podcast that I was excited about him and thought he was going to be a force coming off the bench and spending some time at third base with Austin Riley. And then he gets cut. I mean, it was a factor of Sandoval and... Adrian Adrianza just hitting out of their minds in spring training, but we all know that doesn't always transfer to the regular season, but you know, they, they earned a job good on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely earned it. And Snicker was saying, you know, pretty much effusive praise for both Adrianza. Adrianza. God, we'll get I'm, I'm going to struggle with that name for a while. Adrianza and Sandoval. And that there was no way you couldn't give them these spots based on their performance. It's like out of all the times where we talk about how spring training stats don't matter, they matter a hell of a lot for guys like that. And they delivered. So, you know, let's see what they do in the regular season. Yeah. Start with this bullpen. We got Will Smith, who we knew was is probably gonna be the closer. Tyler Matzik, 
beast. Mentor was a beast last year. Grant Dayton, who's been solid. And your boy Newcomb made it at him. That was a surprising one. All of those guys I just mentioned are left-handers. Now for the right-handers, we got Chris Martin, obviously. Josh Tomlin, we figured. For some reason, Luke Jackson. Your boy Huasker, you know. Uh, and Nate Jones, who was a latecomer, who I think filled in admirably for Carl Edwards Jr. Because he left on his own volition. Yeah, I thought both Nate Jones and Carl Edwards Jr. were going to make it based off their spring performances, but they they went with Jones over Edwards. And, you know, this is a guy who was a beast with the White Sox a few years ago and injury-plagued, and he's been as solid as they come this yeah. spring and showed that he's healthy and could be, you know, like our, our next Tyler Matzik find. It could be. But the interesting thing about Edwards Jr. was that he opted out of his contract. He thought he pitched so well in spring training he could get a bigger deal. Well, I think the Bra- there was a piece in his contract where the Braves had to tell him by a certain date whether or not he was going to make the team, mm. and it was that date, so I guess they told him he wasn't going to make oh, it. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. So he had the option to opt out okay. or take a minor league deal, and he didn't want to do that. So, why, I mean, I haven't kept up with Luke Jackson at all this spring, just because anytime I see his name, I just ignore. Do we know how well he did this spring? I heard he had a pretty good spring. Okay. <laughs> and... He was good in 2019. Until he wasn't. As frustrating as he was. But, like, he's one of those guys. So, the line that the Braves are taking and are very open with is that they they sent guys down that have options, even though they know they are better current major league options. Because That's the thing that frustrates me. It's a long season. Do you really give a shit if Luke Jackson goes somewhere else? I mean, if he turns out to be a stud. He's not going to, though. There's nothing in his track record other than the two-month span where he was actually pretty lights out that suggests that. He, he was even on the fucking playoff roster last year. He has a plus slider, and apparently that's worth holding on to. Ooh. Whereas we have Jacob Webb, who got optioned, who pitched his ass off. He's pitched his ass off both years he's been with the Braves. It was a career 1.39 ERA and 36 appearances. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's other things to Jacob Webb. I know he has minor league options, but it's like that guy gives you a better chance to win than Luke Jackson right now. Right now, but, I mean, it, it's like they they were – at least they were open about it. It's a long season, and there's going to be injuries, and you'd rather be able to call Jacob Webb up in two weeks when someone either underperforms or gets hurt. I'd rather have Jacob him. Webb there now to well, yeah, provide then, quality innings. Didn't give up a single run last year. Eight appearances, lights out. Yeah, he's a, he's a beast, but, like, I mean, Grant Dayton, you cut him, he's getting picked up immediately. Well, I'm not talking about Grant Dayton. I'm talking about Luke Jackson. Luke Jackson does not need to be here. Well, let's see what he does. Maybe he's on a short leash. But would you agree that Luke Jackson doesn't need to be here? I think Luke Jackson, for that two-month stretch, he saved our ass from the bullpen, and yes. I think he, he got a lot of goodwill 20, from that. In 2019. He was, like, our only good arm. He wasn't on the roster in 2020 for much of the year. Yeah, it was also a 60-season weird schedule. Don't care. Jacob think, Webb you has like been 2019, a, with, it's like we're talking about with the Braves re-signed Peter Moylan. But don't you remember how step. bad Luke Jackson was down the stretch? Yeah. And how, for some reason, Snicker kept going with him, even in the postseason? Yeah, we didn't have many other options. You had other you had anybody else except Luke Jackson. He was a home-run machine. I don't expect him to suddenly figure it all out again. Although I could have said I said the same thing about Mentor, and Mentor proved me wrong. So maybe Luke Jackson will shove it down my throat 
and rip off my face. Right. I hope he does. But I'm just saying, on paper, Jacob Webb is better. He should be on the team. It's bullshit. I don't fuck your options. I, I don't care. It's just the way baseball is, though. You I got don't you like got to take advantage. Like it, it's, it you're sucks not you're, those... you're putting yourself at a disadvantage right now to win games by putting Luke Jackson out there if he makes appearances in actual high leverage situations. You understand the concept of needing as many arms as you can get, though, right? Yes, and I and I assume Luke Jackson's out of options. I'm fine with yes. him just going somewhere else. I don't. I'd seen enough of him. Well, obviously the Braves and their analytics department and all the coaches disagree. That's fine. With you, it's the, it's the wrong decision. It's the wrong decision. Jacob Webb is the right decision. He's proven himself time and time again over forty-four career appearances. He has proven to be an extremely efficient pitcher. You said 36 last time. Sorry, 36 appearances in 2019, 8 appearances in 2020 equals 44. Yeah, no, his, cause it's 40, he has a 106 ERA in 44 appearances. He's, he's a beast. All right, whatever. No, no, That's even better than what I, I know. said. Yeah, no one <laughs> is saying that Jacob Webb is not better than Luke Jackson. No one's saying that. Yeah, no, I, I get it. It's just I hate I hate the idea of all this options stuff. It just drives me crazy. I, I understand it. It's just it's it's just kind of it's just a I don't like the attitude though. I get it from a strategy standpoint. Someone gets hurt, you can plug in some guy, and that's fine. But I wish there were just other guys that you could plug in. Um, you know, other guys that could take that role other than Webb because I think Webb would serve us really well as one of our our, our bullpen options. So. Yeah, I mean, it does suck that he. I mean, he'd probably be our fourth best arm. Yeah, going or even it. like but, I mean, it, I like Oscar. You know it, but he's better than you know Well, you know, apparently we're doing like a bullpen game, and right, the fry the the the, the game that would be the fifth starter is going to be a bullpen. So game. that's what Noah's up for. So maybe Jacob Webb gets that call after you know a pitches maybe. Is and like maybe three or four positions for it probably right. is for nothing. Yeah, and and I've read Snicker talking a lot about in spring training how they are going beyond a five man rotation. In the sense that people are going to get time off to rest and rejuvenate, especially the young guys like Freed, Soroka, Anderson, just because especially with Anderson, I mean he's going to be a big wild card for me this year. We knew how good he was last season. Can he make the adjustments? Because baseball has tape on him; they've been watching it. Can he make the adjustments and be a be a still be? a formidable pitcher in the big leagues. I think he can, but that's yet to be seen. But the point is is that they're going to be resting these guys a lot. So we're going to see you know, We're going to see Webb probably start a game. Yeah, you know, we're going Wait, to see Webb. We could see Webb starting. Webb's game. not going to start a damn game. He's at the end of the bullpen guy. Who the hell knows? I'm just saying. You're going to I, I I would think before Jacob Webb you're going with Bryce Wilson, Kyle of Wright, Bryce you know. All right, fine. Sorry. I'm You're just way saying, off base here, Graham. We're going to have probably a nine to ten man rotation this year. That's not going to be used conventionally. It's not like everybody's. We're going to go through all ten guys and then back to the beginning. But people are going to take rests, and they're going to skip a start. They might skip two starts, and in that time period, different guys are going to be shuffled in here to fill those roles. So everybody's going to get get a chance, which I'm fine with, particularly when you're trying to monitor innings limits. I mean, we saw last year. Um, Max Freed, at times, get a little worn down, even in a shortened season. So, even though he had a, a brilliant year. So, I'm fine with this approach. And I also think that our rotation is a million times better than it was last year. Last year was, it was garbage. And we honestly got really lucky with Anderson playing pitching as well as he did. 
And it was another area where Alex Anthopoulos went out and, and filled some holes. Charlie Morton, I'm expecting to have a big season. I don't think he's going to be 2015 Charlie Morton, but he pitched his ass off last year in the against the Rays. I mean, when, with the Rays in the World Series in the postseason, and as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to provide um, provide us, I think, with with not an ace because I don't think it's going to be his role, but a stable third option. I would say the third guy out of the rotation in terms of what you're looking for. Like if your postseason rotation is Soroka, Freed, Morton. Bring, yeah. bring it on. It's ridiculous. And then and Smiley, he's gonna be fine. Everyone kind of freaked out after his like he got hit really hard in his first start. But I mean he ends the spring with a three twenty nine ERA. So it's 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 yeah. huge to have those two veterans tacked on with these young guys. Yeah. I mean, last year was also just so weird with, like, spring training getting shut down. And then, like, when the season actually started, these starters weren't stretched out at all. And that's yeah. why, like, we were saved by having such a deep bullpen. Uh, yes. Whereas now, I mean, they're ready to go in two days pitching six, seven innings from the get-go, where that wasn't the case in August and we needed that ridiculous bullpen depth. So even though on paper this bullpen doesn't look as strong – as it did last year, I think um, it still looks pretty good. It I mean, still, it still looks pretty good. You're talking, and, you're talking about Smith, Matzik, Mentor, who we know are all beasts. Dayton's been good. Chris Martin's a beast. Those are five guys you can throw at the back end of a game and feel pretty fucking confident about. Yeah, and I'm excited that they're giving Newcomb, like this is Newcomb's last chance. Yes, uh, and he was so good for us in 2019 coming out of the pen, and he just had a different demeanor about him that year. And I'm hoping just. He's gonna. I know he still wants to be a starter. There's an article out about him still wanting to be a starter, but he doesn't have that opportunity right now. So he needs to embrace this. Because I mean, even if he's not with the Braves forever, like this is his chance to prove that he's worth giving an opportunity, and he could be a weapon down there. So there's a lot of potential down there. Your boy Luke Jackson, he could be awesome. You never know. Big slider. He'll be off the hard throwing. I'll make you a bet right now. He's done. By July, either in AAA or if he doesn't have any options, he's off the roster. July? Yeah. April? That's that's pretty late. By July. It could happen beforehand. I'm saying July is oh, the Oh, July deadline. 1st? No, end of July is the the deadline. Oh, no, no, no. That's too late. Beginning of July. You got yourself a deal. Okay, fine. Okay. $5 bet. Deal. Okay. <laughs> that's exciting. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, to talk about your boy Newcomb. In four Grapefruit League games since March 17th, he's looked really good. He allowed He's only allowed three hits. He hasn't walked anybody, and he's struck out seven and hasn't given up a run five scoreless innings. So he looks good and ready to go. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Newcomb could be a sneaky good reliever for us. I mean, if he can find his 2019 stuff as a reliever, that just deepens your bullpen. If we can match the depth of the bullpen last year with hopefully good depth in the rotation this year and people can stay mostly healthy, you know, no Soroka season-ending injury kind of kind of things, we will have, I think, overall the best pitching staff. Now, I'm not saying rotation or bullpen, but collective as a unit, the best staff in the East. We're deeper than anyone else. Yeah, like that's everyone what I mean. talks about their like we have potential aces that are just as good as anyone else can run out there. But I don't know if anyone's as good as Degrom or Scherzer 
but I know what you mean. And the but, sense you know, that Scherzer's he, aging. We've always hit the hell out of Scherzer. Sure. Like, but still, Scherzer's still a beast. He he is a beast. But and Degrom's the best in the game. But no one else is running out. You know, potentially Ian Anderson is their fourth starter. Right. Who could like he could be an ace at some point. Like I mean, and we'll see what like if Bryce Wilson or Smiley is at number five. Come on, I mean that's that's where you get separation when you're in these when you're going up against other people's number four, and number five, and we've just got a solid, proven starter going against them. Yeah, and I I really hope Bryce Wilson is is the guy to to take over. Pitched so well last year in that NLCS game. Minter also, man. I thought he was done. That because he spot started in NLCS and threw those three innings in Game Five. Yeah, that was the performance. Was unbelievable. Of, 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 of along with Wilson, those two guys gave the performance of a lifetime. What do you have like seven strikeouts in those in like three innings, innings. Something against ridiculous. the best lineup maybe ever? Yeah, and I, I'm not saying that with hyperbole. That is one of the toughest out of all my years, my 30 years of watching baseball. Well, I've been watching baseball since I was zero, but I mean like. When I could actually watch baseball, I guess since '95, I have never seen a lineup that is that good. Ever, is fantastic. Yeah, like eight potential All Stars. Yeah, so maybe in the last 30 years, one of the best lineups ever. Bottom line is he destroyed them. He destroyed them. So I'm, I know that was a freak situation with him starting, but he was good the whole year as a bullpen guy. I expect him to take the next step. We could be talking about, we could be looking at potentially mentor. I could see him becoming the closer. I'm not saying that will happen. Will Smith should have that on lockdown, but if something happens and he falters like he did at the beginning of last season and Mentor keeps pitching his lights out as he did, who's to say that Mentor will not be the, the future star of the Braves even after Smith is gone? Yeah, I mean, Smith last year, he was coming off COVID. Like, he never really got going until the end of the year, so he he, he sure seems ramped up, ready to go. I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if he lets go of that closer job. But yeah, you're, I mean, AJ Minter's got the stuff. Yeah, like, or if, if Smith goes if Smith goes down for something, right? Yeah. Or for for some reason. Oh, look, I, I mean, Chris Martin, dude, too, man. Right, like that's what I love about this bullpen, depth everywhere. And then, the, and one of your best bullpen pieces is in minor leagues with Jacob Webb. So yeah, and you know. and everyone squawks about Melanson, and the analytics don't match up for Melanson. It's in terms of his like batting average, ball in play, and shit like that. His FIP is yeah. also a little high, and you have to consider too, he is not a Craig Kimbrell type pitcher where he throws it, you know, I'm talking about old school Kimbrell, where he throws it bio with, you know, 98, 9900 miles an hour or, or plus that. He was a pitch to contact closer. Eventually that's going to catch up with you. Yeah. And I would not be surprised if it started to catch up with him more and we see it go beyond the analytics in terms of, oh, he maybe he got a little lucky last season. We could see him actually blow up a little bit in San Diego. I'm not saying it's going to happen. He probably still will have a good season. But the older he gets, because of his decrease in velocity and just the way he pitches, the strategy, it was probably, you could say it's probably the right move not to bring him back, especially when you've got so much in-house talent already. So did you hear about Kirby Yates? Who, we were trying to sign him, apparently. Yes, we were going to. We put him through a physical. We are going to give him about $9 million to be at the back of our bullpen this year and kind of take Melanson's spot, and then he failed a physical. We tried to get him to come to a lower deal, money-wise, and he walked away and went to the Blue Jays, and now he's out for the season with Tommy John surgery. So it just shows that you never know what's going on behind the scenes. It's like Anthopolis realized, yeah, it'd be good to get another bullpen arm in here. Mm -hmm. And they were obviously trying to do that, but they were smart and didn't you know, just throw money at a guy that wasn't healthy. Right. So 
I, I like hearing things like that coming out like three, four months later. It's like that's just how quiet this front office is. Yeah, it's a tight, it's a very tight ship. You don't hear about anything, right? Really, which is good. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Let's talk about the offense a little bit. We know what we're getting offensively from this team. I think, from for the most part, we know that Ronald Acuna Jr. is a beast. We know he strikes out a lot. Um, but there's been a lot of talk about how Acuna is in the best shape of his life. He's making more contact in spring training um, and that he is locked and loaded and 100% healthy. The wrist is good. And I really want him to be healthy going into the playoffs if we make the playoffs this year. I just think I've thought about this quite a bit, how we would have – Especially because we were beating the Dodgers with a with a mostly ineffective Acuna. I know he got on base a few times and had, I think he had like a, a double or two, but he wasn't effective offensively, and everybody knew it. And yeah. the wrist was bothering him. He never made excuses about it, but that's you know that's what was going on. If if he was just healthy, we could have definitely be and we could have been Dodgers even if he wasn't. But we would have had an even better chance. This is the season for Acuna to win MVP or have an MVP like season. I don't even care about the 40 home runs, 40 steals. I don't care about that. I care about him going out there and making game-changing plays, game-changing at-bats, limiting the strikeouts, and reaching it. I don't think he's reached the zenith yet, and we've seen how good he can be. Acuna is the key. If he can stay healthy and have the kind of season he is capable of, then we are in a really good position to challenge the Dodgers for the World Series. But he's got to take that next step. He's almost – I mean, he is pretty much a superstar, but he's got to be an MVP-caliber superstar. He's got to have this kind of season Freddie did last year on crack for a full season and just kill it. If that happens and everybody else produces, I expect Ozzy to produce like he always has, Freddie to produce, Ozuna to produce, and Darno to produce. If everybody produces the way we know they can – and Acuna takes the MVP step, we can beat the Dodgers. If the, if the pitching, the bullpen is all good too. But Acuna, to me, is the key in terms of offensive production because there were so many at-bats last year we were facing those guys where it's like he couldn't come through. And yeah. you knew it he was the so wrist. so chance to do it. You yeah. knew it was the wrist. And we saw in the 2019 team playoffs, he was the only guy getting on base. He was the difference maker, but everyone else sucked. Yeah. So it's like everyone... Minus like Dansby. Yeah, right. Oddly enough. So... If Acuna takes that next step, and everybody produces the way they did last year or close to it in the ballpark, no pun intended, we can't beat those fuckers. Well, yeah, I mean, it's he's only 23 years old. Yeah. That's what it seems like he's been with us forever, but like he's still – a lot of 23-year-olds are still in the minors trying to figure their shit out, and he's – this is what, his third full season now? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, full season, yes. Between him – I expect Oz, a big step from Ozzy this year because last year he was hurt. He had, he also had the wrist issues last year. Yeah, but he and was healthy. Come he was healthy come time. the playoffs. Yeah. But like him hitting number, he's probably gonna be hitting number two this year to start off. We got Acuna, Ozzy, Freddie, Ozuna. Yeah, that's as good as it get one gets one to four, and mm-hmm. we don't have to spend. Four hundred million dollars to get that done. Like we have something special in place, and those guys are hungry as hell. Like as hungry as we are, as these two dudes podcasting under a <laughs> deck that have been watching sports together since we were 
freaking six years old together, getting to what a couple innings away from going to the World Series. going to the World Series, and knowing that we would have stomped the Rays had oh, we yeah. gotten there. Like that was the World Series, us versus the Dodgers. Yeah. yeah. So uh, knowing how hungry we are, just getting jacked up talking about this here at the end of March in 2021 like you can't imagine what those guys are feeling right now oh they're rabid they know that they got it and they see the front office go and get a guy who has been one of the best postseason pitchers of all time charlie morton and charlie morton yeah you've got a potential one of the best closers in the league in will smith if he does what he did in 2019 like the pieces are there mvp at best for first baseman in the league like that's a yeah. fact at this point. Yeah, and all of baseball. All of baseball is the best. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then, you know, I mean, so it's going to depend on what does Austin Riley do? What does Kristen yeah. Pache do? Yeah. If, if both of them can just be league average or a little better hitters, we're in business. Especially Riley. Like, if Pache has a season where he hits, like, 203 or something, whatever, if he's playing the lights out deep. I mean, he keeps making plays defensively. He's had so many assists – this season or this spring training just gunning guys out he made another huge uh, assist against the Orioles on Saturday night where he gunned a guy I think from third when he was playing right field and the, the dude's a freak we know he's a freak defensively he's proven it time and time again and I expect that to translate to a full season but you're right if Austin Riley can find some consistency and then that guy's hitting sixth or seventh in your lineup Look out, man. Yeah. And Look he's out. had a pretty good spring. Yeah. Hit those two bombs. Like, did you see his bombs in that one game that, like, oh, went, God. went over the center field yeah. batter's eye? Yeah. And they said it was 445 feet. I bet it was 470. I yeah. Mean, it was like. I mean, that power, you saw it. Yeah. It was it's, hilarious. The Pirates, uh, <laughs> the Pirates PA guy is like, that was a grown man home run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. He can do that. And, and the good news about, I mean, Pache's defense is obviously like, best in the world but you know austin riley was a very good defensive yeah, third baseman and that's as well, something so that that's what's great we're not losing anything there no and that's something that i think that is lost sometimes when people talk about atlanta is that we have a great defense no matter if you look at an errors or the metrics uh we know zuna is gonna um have some fun out there and left field that's one hole though right you know? but everybody else you look at it it's like darno's a good defender our pitchers are decent defenders freddie is a great defender. Ozzy's world class. Stansby's world class. Acuna's world class. Pache is supposed to be world class, and Austin Riley is well above average as a third baseman. I don't think he's Nolan Arenado, but he could. You know, I want to see him this year take that. He could. And that's the exciting thing about this team is they're just continuing to get better. I mean, hell, even Freddie Freeman had the best season of his life last year at age thirty. I mean, Jesus Christ, he's he's not going to have a rapid decline. Everybody talking shit about him having a subpar spring training. You need to just shove it. Shove it right up your butt because I don't want to hear that, man. Freddie Freeman is the heart and soul of this team. He is the biggest reason probably why we came so close to beating those stupid Dodgers. And because he had a, uh, he's had a bad spring training, people are like, what's wrong with Freddie? I don't – Freddie could not get a single hit in uh, the entirety of spring training. It's like Julio Jones in, uh, in training camp or preseason. Who gives a shit? Yeah. You know, you know he's going to show up. Yeah, and he started to show some stuff. I know he, he had a home run, I think, this week in one of the games. He also talked about he just had twins, and he was like, I, you know, I'm, 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 he's missing his family right now. Once he gets back home, 
he'll be fine. He'll be able to be with them. He'll be in a good headspace. And, uh, yeah, Freddy, Freddy's just the beast. And, yeah, so, anyways, the defense is great. The offense should be great. The pitching should be great. The bullpen should be great. There's no reason why we can't win this division a fourth time in a row and challenge the Dodgers again for the World Series. I don't give a shit about the Padres. The Mets, you know what? They got a lot of holes. I know they everybody, do. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's saying the Mets are the creme de la creme and they're projected to win like 130 games or whatever from all these pundits. But let, let, let's look at this, right? So we know Frankie Lindor is a, is a beast. He's probably the best shortstop in baseball, despite not having the best season uh, last year. But we know overall guy's just a freak um but you got questions in their rotation they're missing noah Syndergaard. they're missing carlos carrasco they're missing and then they're missing seth lugo out of the bullpen so they're they're missing guys um edwin diaz who they blew all that money on the old mariners closer yeah, he, um, he kind of closed out. He did well at good. the end of last year uh, in September, .77 ERA and 11 appearances, but he lost his job during the season. So what kind of season is he going to have? I mean, um, you know, we don't know about, uh, what's his name, Pete Alonso. Um, even though he hit 16 home runs uh, last year, he just didn't quite have the impact he had his rookie season where he was hitting like 50 bombs and was just unstoppable and could not, you couldn't get him out. So I think the Mets have, even though I know on paper they've gotten better, I think they have a lot more questions than we have, honestly. Our, our only question is our bench, basically. Yeah, our bench is our weakest part, and if that's the case, so be it. Would you rather do have the best bench in the world or have a shitty bullpen, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm never I'm – I'm not scared of any of these teams right now until they prove that they can do it. Yeah, I'm scared of the Dodgers. I always am. Well, yeah, especially getting ba- especially getting Bauer, and it, what's going to be tough for me is just like because you're right. Even if I, I'm not convinced any of these teams can beat us yet, because it's solid one to five in the NL East, we're going to beat up on each other. So yeah, you, you don't have the Marlins being the cellar dwellers that we're used to, where you can just sweep every series against them. Yeah. See, if anything, like I'm, I'm more scared about the Marlins than any other team in this division. They're After, sneaky good, man. They're, they're young, they're hungry. And Sixto Sanchez, Sandy Alcantara are both really good pitchers. I don't know, they, they just have more – I respect a team that doesn't have to spend the money to be competitive, and like they just form – they meld better together. Like yeah. the Mets just throwing money at all these free agents and thinking that creates a team. That doesn't create a team. Like – there's more chemistry with the Marlins than with any of these other teams in the East. Right. Besides us. Yeah, and we saw that chemistry carry the Marlins when they I – mean, they have talent, especially in their pitching staff, but we saw the Marlins go into Wrigley and take out the Cubs. Yeah. No problem. Swept them. So they've got a little experience there as well. Yeah, and uh, in, the, in the playoffs last year. So – and you can say it was a bastardized playoff. Whatever. Who cares? They, they went on the road and beat a bunch of guys who won the World Series like five years ago. Yeah. So they are a, you know, I think I'm not afraid of them over the long haul, like in terms of this season. And But, I mean, you got to respect them. I think even the Phillies, you got to respect them a little bit. Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola for a full year. We know Harper is good. Gene Segura is solid. Um, McCutcheon's back. McCutcheon's back, even though he's old as shit. It's going to be a competitive, competitive year in the NL East. The Nationals, 
you know, we know we got our, our good friend Scherzer. I know Strasburg's a little dinged up. But, you know, they got Trey Turner. They got great pieces. Corbin. Corbin. Juan Soto. Oh, yeah, we can get forget Juan Soto. I mean, yeah, so no one can be underestimated here. Every every Whoever finishes last in this division um, probably doesn't suck. The Phillies. It probably will be the Phillies. It's overpaid. Sorry, losers. Philly John. Uh, they got. Uh, they also got Real Muto. So I mean, they avoided disaster by resigning Real Muto. But. Did they though? It's funny how these teams, and that's the thing I always bitch about, not having the unlimited funds. But you look at how some teams spend their unlimited funds, like the Phillies. They haven't made the playoffs since they splurged all that money. There's something to having to strategically put a roster together versus just. You know, trying to fill a hole with whoever the top free agent is because you can afford them. Well, I think the Dodgers have taken that approach and done it right. Like the Dodgers, but they've balanced it. But it, it took them so many years. But they've always, they've been competitive since 2013. They've been challenging for the World Series like every year. They go in the playoffs every year. But, they yeah, they bring up their young guys as well. Yeah, like they do a the good Bellingers job and... of, of balancing out. Yeah, guys like Bellinger and Kershaw is their homegrown. Bueller is their homegrown. May. Like they've got a lot yeah. of But then they, they'll go out and get – a Mookie Betts. Yeah. They'll go out and get a Trevor Bauer and, like, just seal oh, the deal. Oh, I can't believe they have Bauer. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that I hate about going into this year is them having Bauer. That's it, just – they're going to win 120 games. It gives you a little bit of a vibe. Like, obviously, the Hawks aren't on the same level. But <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter who comes out of the East in the NBA because of the Nets and all right. the talent they have. Right. But like you said, we, we can beat the Dodgers. We show we can beat the Dodgers. But adding in Trevor Bauer, that's a bit of a – although we added Mike Soroka. And Charlie, and Charlie Moore. Moore. So, yeah. you know, we're better than we were last year True. as well. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, is that the Dodgers were pretty much at full strength last year, and we were coming out with this ragtag rotation led by Max Fried and everybody else. Kyle Wright pitched a game. Yeah. Ian Anderson doesn't, you know, hardly had any hair on his face at that point. Pitching game seven. Yeah. That's and ridiculous. It, yeah. So – if we're healthy and they're healthy, it'll be a hell of a series. I mean, yeah. I, I'm thinking Braves, Dodgers battle for the NLCS round two. I don't really want to make a prediction from there, but I expect my my expectation is you win the division again, you get back to the NLCS, and hopefully you can find a way to beat the Dodgers. That's the only, and hopefully you don't have to play the Dodgers in the NLDS. I really don't want to fucking deal with that. Did you see what? I'm not going to do predictions. Did you see what SI did for their predictions, though? No. So they have the Braves beating the Cardinals. Cardinals aren't doing shit. And then the Braves beating the Dodgers. Oh, Jesus. And then the Braves beating the Yankees. (laughs) Which, like, come on. That would be the sweetest revenge tour. Throw the Mets in there in, like, a wild card game or something. It's just, like, could not get better than that. That would be the sweetest revenge tour ever because you're talking about beating the team that beat you in the wild card game, the Chipper Jones last wild card game. Yeah. Talking about the team that beat you in 2019 and the Cardinals, you know, that franchise. Then beating the Dodgers – kicked our asses three times in the playoffs in the last whatever since 2013 um, and then beating the Yankees to beat you in two World Series the last two times you went to the World Series that is like the biggest like 13 year old me fantasy like as a kid I could just imagine if you were a kid who grew up a Braves fan being like that is like reading a comp- your favorite comic book or something <laughs> that's like that just makes me so happy if that were to happen I could you, yeah, like I've said before 
you could shoot me in the head the next day. I'd be okay with it if that happened. I'd be like, fine. Yeah. I experienced it. I saw it. I partied. Great. Just need that one night of party. Don't need to. You don't. You don't need that full year to enjoy it. Yeah, it'll never get better. Yeah, at that first point. night. Yeah. yeah. So. So I, I, not I, saying that I don't want anybody to come kill me, but I'm just saying, you know. Sure. Right. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Well, all in all, I don't know if you have anything else on the Braves, but that, besides talking about Luke Jackson, by far the most positive, well, any team preview we've ever done as, as far as your emotions and your optimism. Now, here's the thing that people will point out who are superstitious who listen to this podcast. Every year with the Braves in the preview, I'm always like, yeah, maybe we'll get the wild card. Right. I've never been this bullish on the Braves since this show started. So I'm sure people, if the Braves implode, Soroka's arm falls off, uh, Ozzy Albee's kneecaps explode, etc. Bad things happen. We'll blame me. Who wasn't on this show? I don't think that's fair. Cause I, th- I think if anything, it shows that you're just not like a bullish homer like me. That no matter what, I feel pretty good about the team. Yeah, like you, you've been honest over the years, and your honest assessment this year is that we have a good team, and there's no reason to not think we don't have a good team. Well said. Yeah. So we we didn't make any. That was SI making those predictions, right? Not us. Yeah. So. Although I said we'll, we'll get to the NLCS at least is my well, that's prediction. Fine. That's fine. Yeah. God, whoever that Sports Illustrated person is, must be a Braves fan. Yeah. That's like that's such a that's such a fantasy scenario. Yeah, that would be awesome. Oh man. All right, Graham. Well, I look forward to the start of the 2021 baseball season in a couple of days. In the meantime, I think it's time to transition to our Atlanta Hawks segment. It's it's much more fun seeing that transition <laughs> live because your eyes go kind of like bird crazy. Oh, yeah, you got to get in character. So good good work there, as always, Mr. Hawk. <laughs> so the Hawks, since we've last talked to you, the trade deadline came and went. And first, I guess let's talk about the trade that the Hawks did make versus the trade the Hawks didn't make. And we only made one deal. And I don't think there's anyone in the world that could be unhappy with this trade. We traded Rajon, was it $7 million Rondo? Yeah. Something like that, whatever his deal was. No, $14 million, $7 million each year for Lou Williams of the Clippers. Lou Williams, who played for the Hawks back in like 2013. Yeah. Something along those 2011, I can't remember. I remember meeting him when I worked for the Gwinnett Braves as an intern. Mm. and he was on the Hawks at that time, so it was 2013. So we traded Rondo, and we got Lou Williams, two second-round picks, and cash. I don't understand what the Clippers were doing in this deal. Well, I think a lot of it stems from Lou Williams is not in the rotation as much anymore. He's not what he was when he was winning the Sixth Man of the Year award every, like, two or three years. Um, He's only averaging about... 12 points a game, which is low for him. Um, and his free throw rate has declined. And Lou, if you know anything about Lou Williams, you'll know that him getting the free throw line is a key to his success. And basically, if you don't know what free throw rate is, it's the number of free throws you take versus the number of field goals you attempt. So the higher your free throw rate, the more efficient you'll probably be. So three years ago, it was 42.6%. 
and um, that was almost a career high for him. Last year it was 36.2%, which is still decent, but you know it's dropping. This year it's only 27.7%. So his big thing is being able to draw contact and get to the line, and he's just not doing that anymore. He's not as effective as he used to be. He's still not a terrible player by any stretch of the imagination. He'll probably give us more than Rondo, even though he's not a pure point guard. But I think that the Clippers are banking on getting a backup point guard, someone who can vibe with Paul George, someone who can vibe with Kawhi Leonard, and be playoff Rondo. That's, I think that's what they're banking on. And they don't really give a shit about giving us a little money and giving us a couple of, of draft picks. Although it's, I think it is crazy how we were able to get those draft picks you know, by trading Rondo. Everything on paper, Lou Williams is the better player than Rondo. Yeah, it's not to say that, but I'm just saying I think he fits their plan a little bit better than Lou Williams fit their plan. Seems like I may have found the one guy that's not stoked about this trade. I'm not not. St- I think it's better for the Hawks. I'm just telling you why I think the Clippers made the deal because I think Rondo fits their system better and they needed a backup point guard. Whereas even though we need a backup point guard, we need someone who wasn't Rondo who can also fill that leadership void. And apparently, I was wrong. I'll eat crow on this. I've read a lot of articles recently about how pivotal Lou Williams was in terms of developing guys. And to add more fuel to the Lloyd Pierce fire, a lot of people were apparently going to Rondo, as as well as the assistant coach, but going to Rondo with issues they had to change yeah, to Lloyd Pierce. I heard that as well. And yeah. also that Rondo was key in terms of breaking down film and being there for the guys. So even though Rondo may not have provided a lot on the court, for whatever reason, injuries or just, I don't know, general decline, he was a big leader. So I'm hoping that Lou Williams can provide that leadership. And Lou Williams is also back in Atlanta. The place he loves the most is Magic City. Sure. So I know he's going to be going down there and getting those uh, named hot wings after him, Adam. I'm, I'm aware. And I heard that. I didn't hear that. I actually saw with my own eyes, Graham, that Buffalo Wild Wings. I was about to say, did you go to the Magic City to get some Lou Williams Wild wild Wings? No, but I got a little back. Not Wild Wings, but uh, Hot Wings. Well, the first part of the story, Buffalo Wild Wings tweeted at Lou Williams saying, hey, come get some wings here. And then Magic City responds saying, are you all serious right now? Because you know if Lou Williams is in Atlanta, where he's getting his Hot Wings from? Yeah. Magic City. Oh, totally. So I don't know what Buffalo Wild Wings is trying to do. Right. And you know what? I'm actually going to go to Magic City to get these wings. Well, you can. I, I read the story. I read the story about how someone went. Uh, actually, the Hawks writer Chris Kirshner on the Athletic went to Magic City last year after the Lou Williams debacle and actually got wings there. And he said it was 100 percent worth it. And it's, they are, the food is amazing. Apparently, that's inter- okay. So maybe you have to go there because I, I read. Then I started like reading. I went down a whole rabbit hole like reading reviews of Magic City Wings, Mm -hmm. and some people were bashing them. Mm. But they got the delivered version, like the DoorDash. Right. And it's never going to be as good that way. Right, right. So maybe that could be a Atlanta's own post-COVID vaccine. Post-COVID vaccine uh, group outing. I think that sounds like a (laughs) grand old time. (laughs) Just a couple blocks from State Farm Arena. Yeah, and apparently there's no VIP room at the Magic City. So everyone's a VIP at Magic City. That's good. Yeah. I don't know if we would have been seeking out that room. No, I don't think we would. But yeah. that was just an interest. Like, it was, it was great the way he broke down, like, the, the area. And Kirshner he, said that. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, there is no VIP room. And he's like, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. You can just go just go there, eat wings, and, you know, get women dancing all around you. So it's like, sounds good to me. Nice little restaurant. Yeah.
So, anyway. Despite, <laughs> yeah, despite Lou having Magic City here, he also contemplated retiring, which is a, a little worrisome to me. He's got a lot of miles on his legs. But he's still only like 34. But, I mean, it sounds like he was just... He loved L.A. and the team. And, like, I was reading this from the Clippers' point of view, and they all said it sucked that they had to trade him. So I guess it's their offense has just been a lot of Paul George and Kawhi creating their own shots versus having a natural point guard like Rondo. So that's what they wanted in Lou Williams. But for us, I think he's exactly what we need is another scoring option off the bench. And our bench is starting to look pretty nasty once all these healthy bodies come into play. Yeah, and I think the good news also with this move is that Lou has made a, a career out of pick and roll. Either he's on the receiving end or he's setting, uh, you know, he's setting the screen or if he's setting it up. He's very good with that, whether he's handling the ball or off the ball. So I expect him to vibe really well with Capella, John Collins. And even if he's not the pure backup point guard, he'll see some action there. Yeah, I mean, you can get between him and Bogdanovich, those guys can run the offense or Herter. for the second unit. Yeah. You know? For sure. So, you know, all in all, I mean, Rondo, he had his moments with us, but I don't think any Hawks fan was stoked about his play. No, I mean, I thought I was starting to see – there was a game, I can't remember if it was the Clippers game or the game before that, but I, I was watching him – play and he made five really good passes and every single pass was to a guy who was open who missed the three and I was like Rondo should have five assists in about the span of three minutes right and it was frustrating that he didn't get those but I was I was starting to see more energy from his play so I was surprised that we made the move just because it looked like Rondo was starting to play better and mesh better with the guys on the court but to get cash which the Hawks will need if they want to do this John Collins deal and also to shed the uh, the weight of that Rondo contract, which you're also on the hook for $7 more million that's, next year. That's the kicker. That's big. And Lou Williams, this is the last year of his contract, so it's not necessarily a thing where he's going to be here beyond this year. Could happen, but it would be a renegotiation. So you're not on the hook. It's a better move for the Hawks long term. Yeah, I mean, that's the kicker. We're, we're potentially getting the better player here, the better scorer off the bench, and with the better contract and draft picks and cash, mm-hmm. it's like, come on. I mean, I you know, LA, the Clippers saw what Rondo did with the Lakers last year in the bubble playoffs, and that's what they're counting on. But, you know, the, the regular season means a lot more to us right now than the playoffs, so Lou Williams. Yeah, we're just trying to get there. Yeah, Lou Williams helps us get there more than Rondo does. Yeah, probably. So, he's, he's still not a good defender, but hoping – that he can find um, a way to also not only just perform on the court, but but fill the void that Rondo's left off the court leadership. So I think that's still a big thing for the, such an impressionable team such as this one. Which, based off what all the players on the Clippers were saying, he's been the leader of that team for the last four years. So I think he will bring exactly what Rondo was in right. that area. And the other big news from the trade deadline, Adam, is John Collins stays put. Yes, which I'm not surprised at, by it at all. Like, we've been saying, like, we don't see any scenario where this team, especially when they had gone, like, what, 8-0 and at one point, mm-hmm. you can't trade John Collins. Like, there was no deals out there that that would make sense for a team that's been told you need to, like, we're making the playoffs this year. 
Yeah, and Schlink also said there were never any serious or offers that we took seriously. There was never anyone out there who was like, "Oh man, we got to make this move. It's worth it to make this move." It's like I, I keep going back to this, but rumors are just so stupid. Like, just reading too much into rumors on the internet, especially. Oh God! Like back in the day, you see a rumor, it'd be like in the AJC print, it'd be like, "Okay, this might have some or merit." Might be on the radio. Yeah, no. but like, I mean, it's like just. For a simpler example, the Falcons draft coming up, I read back-to-back rumors where, one, the Falcons are going to draft a quarterback at four still, even if the first three picks are quarterback. And then, like, the very next day, Falcon word around town is Falcons are going to trade back. It's like, what are we doing? We're yeah. just throwing shit at a wall, seeing what sticks? Yeah, we're just trying to create clicks. But, like, just looking at the John Collins scenario, why would we have traded him? The only reason you would trade him is if you were getting a player that's comparable or better for him. And it's just, there's just no deal out there where a, a team's going to make that move, I don't think. Like, a team that's rebuilt, like, let's say the Rockets, who suck ass this year. You know, they don't have anyone on that team that you'd want. I'm just trying to think. Like, well, yeah. no, a rebuilding team wouldn't do it because right. he's not under contract next year. Uh, yeah, there's that. It'd have to be a contender. So, so yes, that's important. You have to be a contender. There's a lot of talk about the Celtics wanting John Collins, but they would have to give up a lot to get him and players that they need for the postseason. So it's like it didn't really make sense for anybody, especially and a lot of that is dictated by John's contract expiring, I think. But I'm glad he's here, and I hope we're able to resign him because, I mean, you saw what he did in that Warriors game after the, the trade deadline passed, 38 points. Like 15 rebounds or something insane. 12 boards, 73% shooting. Yeah. Like career high, 38 points. Right. So you could tell it just like a huge weight off his shoulders. And he was so vocal after the trade deadline passed about being, he says, I want to be true to Atlanta. I want to be a Hawk for life. I love Atlanta. I love this place. I love this team. And it was so nice to hear him say that because even though I've, I've, feel, I've felt that before, I think now that he's here for the rest of the year, he's, he's able to say that and feel good about it, even if. It doesn't work out, at least for the next couple months. You know, he is a hawk. He doesn't have to worry about it. Well, yeah, no, it's great to hear that from him. I, I was Maybe it was just me reading too much into rumors, but I was starting to get the Devontae Freeman vibe from him mm. where he's more concerned about his contract than the, the city and the team. But for him to say he wants to be a hawk for life, and keep in mind, like, he's a restricted free agent, so we have the right to match any offer. Yes. So he could very well be a hawk and like if you get a guy who wants to be in atlanta that is as talented as he is you make him stick in atlanta because that's how you get trade to resign that's how you get some veterans to sign back here like you, you can't let guys like that walk and then go to brooklyn and win three championships yeah it'll just be interesting to see what the he's going to get a lot of offers there's no question about that it's just what are the offers going to be and are the hawks going to match that offer they offered him a four-year, $90 million extension in the offseason didn't take it. So that says to me that the offer has to be north of that. It has to be probably at least – I don't know what the max contract is, but it's got to be probably at least $100 million. Are the Hawks willing to, to match that? That's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure they they would. Like, I mean, that that's a pretty beefy offer they gave him already. So, I mean, there's, there's no harm in letting him see the open market so he can see what – other teams will offer him and then just match it yeah so yeah maybe other teams aren't willing to give him that much right we'll, we'll we'll see and i think like we were talking about earlier the rondo deal really opens up the potential 
it increases the chance that John is coming back. Yeah. Not saying that it will happen, but it increases the chance. And then as far as the current brutal West Coast trip we're on, been kind of rough. We're 2-5, and five, but we actually start off by beating the Lakers 99-94. That was huge. Yeah, <laughs> a game no one expected us to win. LeBron got hurt. That might have influenced it a little bit. We were beating them even when LeBron was on the court. Well, there you go. I didn't watch that one. I didn't watch it either, but I heard about it. This is <laughs> March Madness was happening. It was yeah. the worst possible time. I was like, well, it's March Madness or a regular season Hawks game. Sorry, Hawks. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so there's that. Then just two bad losses to the Clippers and Kings, two games that we should have won. We were that up, we were up huge on the Clippers. That Clippers game was rough. I didn't see the Kings game, but I saw the Clippers game. We were kicking their ass. We were up by 20 points at one point. I mean, it was like... They let the throttle down. So it, yeah. it very much had the look of a Lloyd Pierce team. And we've seen that a, a couple times. There's that loss to the Clippers and then the loss Sunday night to the Jazz where blowing big leads, just playing kind of piss-poor defense, which are themes you don't want to see with these team. And, like, maybe it wasn't all Lloyd Pierce, but also it's been a tough trip. And yeah. you're, you're still playing without DeAndre. You're still playing – like, Cam has been out forever now. Right. Well, DeAndre – we'll get through a recap and talk a little bit about DeAndre. Oh, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah. So two and five on the current trip. So if we're, we win, we're twenty-three and twenty-three. If we if we go three and what six on the trip, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah, we play Phoenix tonight. The night we're recording this on March thirtieth, and then San Antonio uh, after that, New Orleans, and then the road trip is over. We play Golden State at home. Hopefully, San Steph Curry again. I think we're still in a good spot. We're we're, we're sixth in the East right now. Everybody's stacked up against each other so there's still a lot of room for maneuvering and things like that the good news is also because it's that playing game right where the nine ninth and tenth teams play correct correct so we're three and a half games ahead of chicago who are the tenth seed right now so we're still in a good spot it'd be really good to win this game against the suns and um even though we lost the jazz at least it was still encouraging that we played well against them for a stretch and their jazz are really good i mean the bet you know the best team in the west so and the Clippers are really good, too. I mean, we knew they were going to wake up at some point. So even though it sucks to lose like that, it's also just veteran teams taking advantage of a young team at the end of the day. Well, they also – the Clippers were – like, they put their bench in. That's what sucked about it. They had two guys off their bench just go off on us. Yeah, it was very eerily similar to that uh, Dallas Mavericks game uh, where Luka wasn't doing shit and Chris Tass wasn't doing shit, but those other guys – Oh, yeah, yeah. can't remember who it was. Just came in and just – shot the lights out right the the issues that this team has with Lloyd Pierce are not going to be completely improved by McMillan they're still we're still going to have lapses like this it's still a team that's figuring itself out so I don't think it's really anything to worry about and we're also still only a half game back of New York for the fourth seed so a lot can happen let's talk about DeAndre Hunter Adam came back what for the Clippers game played 20 minutes I think played 26 minutes for the Warriors game, but now he's got knee swelling. Now he's getting to a point where maybe there's something else going on. We don't know. There was an interesting article on The Athletic with Chris Kirshner talking to Dr. Deepak Chona. So according to Chona, who's just an independent physician, he doesn't have a stake in this, he said, with knee swelling, this is a quote from this article, uh, with knee swelling, particularly after surgery and a period of rest, suggests there is an issue in the knee that is causing it to be inflamed. In Hunter's case, it could be as simple as not being 100% fully healed or perhaps irritation of an area in the knee. 
that hasn't adequately healed yet. Um, so he's saying there's, there could be an underlying bone bruise, which would mean that if it's an underlying bone bruise, it would just take some time for that to heal, and it's not the end of the world. But there could also be an issue with the cartilage. If there's an issue with cartilage, that's going to require surgery again on this already surgically repaired knee. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Which, with, this with is that. just a doctor speculating. Yeah, he has no idea. Yeah. But he's saying in his experience seeing this happen, this is the two likely scenarios as to what's going on. So it seems like watching the games that when he first came back, he was not holding anything back. Yeah. Like, he was instantly driving hard to the paint. He looked good. I mean, he still looked a little rusty, but, like, yeah, he had the same intensity that he yeah. had, which I almost think I didn't like seeing that. It scared me every time I saw him go to the ground. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you got to hold, as an organization, give him a couple more games. Because, you know, like, you get a competitor like that in there and a young guy. He's going to go all out. Yeah. You know. So that, that was a little concerning to me. And... Like we said, the, the Hawks haven't. Uh, he's still been like doubtful for all these games, not listed officially as out until closer to tip off. So hopefully, it's just some irritation after bringing him back too quickly. But yeah, it, it we need him. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, we definitely need him. And you just gotta wonder what this means for his knee. I mean, one way I can see this happening is if there is meniscus issues, but he can still play on it. They could try to shoot him up with drugs and anti-inflammatory stuff but either way <laughs> dr graham over there dr graham over here drugs and anti-inflammatory stuff right that can sort of keep that shit at bay for a while but if that's the case he's gonna he will have to have surgery again at the end of the year and just completely clean that shit out um so i hope i hope it's more of the bone bruise kind of stuff and he can lay off for another week or something but i mean would you shut him down if it was like hey your meniscus is still fucked up or would you say We've got to get to the playoffs and fuck it. I would let the doctors make that call, Graham. That's fair. I, not being a medical professional, but having talked more than I ever thought I would about injuries and what happens with injuries on this show in the four years we've been doing this, would say that if it's a meniscus issue, probably just shut him down. What's the point of, of you know, with this guy who's had such a great season, who we view as a key piece of our team, risking – further long-term injury down the road got anything else on the hawks dr graham i do not all right graham let's jump into the falcons real quick i've got a question for you Mm. what do fabian moreau jesus barcavius mingo Mm -hmm. brandon copeland eric harris lee smith and josh andrews all have in common that they are some of the 2021-2022 Falcons draft or free agent class. Right. All on one-year deals. Yes. For veteran minimums, most likely. Uh, I did not mention Mike Davis because he was our bigger signing. Mm-hmm. Two-year deal. Two-year deal, $5.5 million. Total, which is great. Right. So, But all of these guys are also just like, you know, they're affordable. They have a lot of experience as backups in the NFL, and they're one-year deals. Besides that, I can't tell you too much about any of them except for what position they play and what team they played for last year. Yeah, the only name that I really know from that list that you just said was Barcavius Mingo, who I remember being a pretty formidable linebacker at one point. I haven't heard his name in a few years, so I'm not sure 
He was on the Bears last year. What he's been doing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's played serious minutes in, in a couple of years. Yeah, so, you know, th- this is the kind of moves we we're telling you guys was going to happen. And that a lot of people were saying it was going to happen. It wasn't just us. But that because of the cap situation, we're just going to, you know, dirt cheap deals. Dirt cheap deals on dirt cheap guys, and hopefully they can play a, a decent enough role to contribute. And, that, and that's what it is. And that extended to Mike Davis, who is uh, probably the biggest free agent signing, I would say, that we've had, who was the Panthers running back last year, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, many moons ago, it feels like, at this point, when it was still daylight when we were recording. No, it's, we're, we're just sitting here in the darkness like a bunch of fucking trolls. But Mike Davis has been signed to a two-year deal worth $5.5 million, $3 million is guaranteed this year. And he filled in admirably when Chris McCaffrey went down last year for the Panthers. So he's a tank, impossible to tackle. Yeah, he's a tough guy for sure. And it's nice because for the first time in a while, we're getting a running back that has a little more. And a lot of this maybe can be attributed to Cutter and how shitty of a play caller he was. But we didn't really target running backs very much out of the backfield. And that was a critical component of the Shanahan offense, I felt like, especially when we had Tevin Coleman, you know, who was going on wheel routes and other crazy routes uh, beyond just running onto the flat like a loser. Um, you know, there's some dyna- uh, dynamism, dynam- dynamicism, that's not a word. There was there was something special about that. It just added a little extra wrinkle that the defense had to worry about. And now that you're getting a guy like Davis who um, added – 373 receiving yards last year on top of 642 rushing yards. That's over 1,000 yards total of offense. So that's not saying he's like, you know, a force of nature. That's a hell – and he had six touchdowns. And you can say Todd Gurley had 10 touchdowns last year, but can you remember anything else that he did that was half decent in terms of actually, you know, producing big he, stats on the field except for that one game against, I can't remember, Minnesota or whatever the hell it was? Well, he wasn't able to fall on the one, which – Yes. Kept us drafting at four instead of like ten. Yes, one of those touchdowns was horrible, and but this guy, you know, pretty pretty solid numbers, and you know it's not the only year he's he's or the only seasons he's done that. He played in Seattle, ran for seven hundred fifty four yards through two seasons, averaging over four yards a carry, and had three hundred forty five receiving yards in those two seasons. But last year he was unleashed. McCaffrey offense in Carolina requires the lead back to be able to be a, a force out of the backfield. So I'm hoping Arthur Smith. Matt Ryan and company can utilize Davis in a similar role and that he can be a bridge gap to who I assume will be someone we draft this year in the fourth round or something as uh, maybe our future running franchise running back for the next four or five seasons. So I like this move. He's a solid guy. So does he give you any Michael Turner vibes at all and the fact that he's been he's never been given a chance to be the lead guy? just like Michael Turner was in San Diego. And then when he is given the chance, it just clicked immediately. And he, same power running. Michael Turner wasn't like that out of the backfield, though, with the, the passing game. But just the fact that you can't bring this guy down. I remember the game against the Pan- Panthers this year where he just completely went off on us. Yeah. And like it seemed like he'd get – he was the yak leader in the NFL just from watching that one game. Mm-hmm. So – I see some pretty good potential there. And the fact that we gave him that this regime, who's just trying to piecemeal something together after what Thomas Dimitrov gave them in the cap situation, the fact that they give him a two-year deal, that's a sign that they see they see him more as just 
a guy to fill in and be a role player. I don't think he's going to be as effective as Turner on the ground because I don't think we have the offensive line to facilitate that. Hopefully I'm wrong. But I think he profile. he's a very similar profile. And like you said, he's, he's already a better receiver than him. So I love to see Mike Davis go off for 1,000 yards rushing, 400 yards catching out of the backfield with like eight or nine touchdowns. That would be a dream. And it seems like it's feasible if the offense can get back to being a balanced attack. Well, and I, I like that. I, it was actually a trade and not a free agent signing Lee Smith, the tight end from Buffalo. Yeah. Blocking tight end. Good blocking tight end. You know, I mean, that that means we're going to be rushing, going for it a little more. And this Josh Andrews guy, he's a center, a guard, possible backup, but just trying to build some depth on the offensive line at least. And you're going to get – you have to get like three starters at least out of this draft coming up. Oh, yeah. So I don't think we're bringing in Josh Andrews to be our starting center no. or guard. But, you know. You need depth there. You only have exactly. th- three backup. I, I think you only have three people, including your boy Hennessy, and you don't know how three people that aren't locked in to starting positions yet. So you needed another offensive lineman. Yeah. Matt Gano is there as well. Right. Matt Gano, Hennessy, and some other person I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, so they're, they're all intriguing a little bit. I, I read a, a Raiders Twitter on the, the safety we got out of Oakland, he Eric Harris. doesn't profile well from well, what I read. Their, their fans hated him with yeah. a passion. It, it, was like, it was like we were talking about one of our many failed cornerbacks over the years. <laughs> like, it was just, like Robert Alfred or somebody like yeah, that. It yeah, I, I, it was like some Falcons fan posting, so well, I don't know this guy. <laughs> what, what can you tell him about us? And the Raiders guy, he sucks. Yeah, I'm so glad he's gone. Oh, man. But, you know, people are bitter, too. Yeah. And idiots. Right. So we'll we'll see how that all shakes out. I don't know. My expectations aren't high for anybody um, coming over. My expectations are a little elevated for Davis just because we saw what he can do as, as a starter last year for most of the season um, in an offense that wasn't spectacular with a quarterback that wasn't as good as Matt Ryan. So I think it's a good move. I like it. Um I just hope that we also potentially draft a running back this year if we think the one that fits. But if we don't, the good news is we have this guy under contract for next year, and maybe there will be a better running back in that uh, 2022 draft class. Pairing him with Ito is better than what we had last year. Yeah, Brian Hill's gone. Um, So the only running backs you have are Ito and Kadri Allison. Yeah. So. Hmm. And I guess the only other real news is more restructured contracts. Deion Jones restructured. Mm. We've got $4 million there. Dante Fowler just gave up money, which was interesting. Gave me a little more hope for Dante Fowler. Like, did it give you hope just because it showed that he was a little selfless, or did it give you – or was there another reason that it gave you hope? Yeah, selfless and wants to prove that last year was a fluke and he was injured. Okay. And uh, like he also recognized that he was just going to get cut and not get a lot of this money. Yeah. But instead we get $7 million in savings from restructuring his contract. That's big. So Seven million is a lot. You can do a lot. Like We need to do that for the draft class also. Right. And the draft is under a month away now, Adam. It's fast approaching. Yeah, I think I think we probably still have another move or two to make to get more money to sign those guys, especially for staying at four. Well, I'm interested to see if we restructure Grady Jarrett's contract. Well, he's I the only that, guy left to I think do that's, it to. Yeah, so I think that's going to that, that, that's that's happen in the next week or two. We'll probably have it by next week. And yeah, I, I think we shouldn't speculate on the draft no. yet. No. Uh, the only other actual news is that it's official that next year will be a 17-game schedule. 
Mm. So we, we added Jacksonville to the list. We'll be going to see Urban Meyer. And your boy Trevor Lawrence. Ooh, and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. So that'll be – I like more football. I like more football. I also like getting the worst team in the league. So – Good all around. Yeah, and I think the cicadas and crickets are telling us to get the fuck out of their uh, <laughs> out of their house. It's their time now. Yeah, so we'll wrap up the show. <laughs> and uh, thank you guys for bearing with us through all this noise. We hope it's a good episode. I'm sure it was. It felt great. So yeah, great to be back in person. Indeed. And we will see you all next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitometer sip. Hospitometer sip. Hospitometer sip.